Billy Graham once said, the most important events in human history were the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The most important events in human history were the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Last week, we read about the agony of Christ at Calvary as being nailed to a Roman cross. He bore the wrath of God's people, making atonement for those of us who would repent and trust in him. And today we're going to begin a new chapter in the Gospel of Matthew, the final chapter of this book. So our series on the Gospel of Matthew is coming to an end. So turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And the title of my message is The Resurrection, The Reason for Rejoicing. So let's read this passage beginning in verse 1 of chapter 28. Matthew writes, After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him, that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. <clears throat> when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You were to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you sent your son to die. And because of his sacrifice, we're here today praying because of his sacrifice, we're here today worshiping. We're here today having fellowship with one another and most importantly with you. And Father, thank you that the story doesn't end at the crucifixion. Thank you that there is more to the story. And today we get to read about it. In Jesus' name, amen. The resurrection, a reason for rejoicing. My first point in the sermon is terror and great joy. Terror and great joy. In verse 1, Matthew writes, After the Sabbath, 
at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. So early Sunday morning, just right before dawn, Mary Magdalene and the mother of James and Joseph make their way to the tomb. Now, if you read other gospel accounts, you'll see it wasn't just the two women. There were other women also on their way to the tomb. But Matthew, for some reason, just wants to talk about these two women. But I just wanted to make that clear. Luke, in his gospel, records that the women went to the tomb with spices to anoint Jesus' body. They were not expecting Jesus to be risen from the dead. Joseph, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a follower of Jesus, did everything he could to give Jesus the proper burial, but a complete anointing of the body was not possible under Jewish law on the Sabbath. So these women wanted to show honor and devotion to Jesus by preparing his body for burial. And so that's why they're going to the tomb. And so just as dawn was breaking, they're approaching the tomb. And as they're about to reach the tomb, they discuss the very challenging situation they would face. Who would roll away the stone? We see this recorded in Mark's gospel. They're discussing this. And they didn't even know if they would be able to access the body. But you know what they did have? They had faith that they would be able to find someone to move the stone away so they could show their great love and devotion to their Lord. And not only was their love and devotion for Jesus great, it was courageous. They were taking a great risk. They may have known that the guards were going to be there, possibly. And if they did, they knew they would probably be accosted in some way by them, whether by scoffing or perhaps even physical assault. Women were frowned upon back in the day. And yet they showed great courage to go to the tomb. Following Jesus takes great courage, brothers and sisters. And for the church, it's a grace-based courage. It's a courage that the Holy Spirit fills us with to be witnesses for Jesus. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1-8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit gives us power to be courageous, to be witnesses for Christ. We are witnesses for Jesus and he emboldens us as Proverbs 28-1 says, he makes us bold as lions to go forth and be courageous in the name of Jesus, wherever he would have us go. And in verse 2, we see that their faith is rewarded. It says, there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and I always like this, and sat on it. I mean, I don't know what that is all about, but he just sat on it. (laughs) I'm sure he wasn't tired from rolling back. He just sat on the thing, you know. God has given me authority over this tomb stone here. I don't know. But here we see, what we see is the occurrence of a supernatural earthquake. We see that an angel actually descends from heaven in front of these ladies and in front of these soldiers. And he walks over to the tomb and he rolls the tombstone away to open up Jesus's tomb. And then he just sits on it. And within three days, God causes two earthquakes just outside of Jerusalem. 
And the angel does what would take several strong, very strong men to do, and that is to roll away the stone. He opens the sealed grave to let the women and later on the apostles in. And if you read John's account, you'll see that Mary Magdalene leaves the garden as soon as she sees the stone is moved away. Before the angel appears, she runs to find Peter and John and tells them that someone has stolen the body. So she misses the announcement from the angel that Jesus had risen from the dead. And so she and the two apostles, she's out there somewhere with the two apostles running to the tomb to find out what they can. But meanwhile, at the tomb, here's this angel. And Matthew describes his appearance as having a face as bright as lightning and his garments as white as snow. We see in verse 3, he's obviously not a human being. He's a spiritual being, a heavenly being with radiance. Some scholars say perhaps like the Shekinah glory of God was upon this angel to show how glorious he was. Not to be worshipped, but he was a heavenly being. Don't ever worship angels. You don't need to pray to angels to find anything or anything like that. You go to God. But in verse 4, it says here, the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. What a sight to behold. Can you imagine what the the soldiers guarding the tomb must have thought at seeing this being come from heaven and land on the ground and then start walking to the tomb? What a shock. I mean, they're having a peaceful morning at a tomb of some dead guy, they thought. Probably very bored as they guarded this thing. And their main objective was to ward off any person who would dare try to steal the body of Jesus. And they're armed and they're ready for anything. (laughs) Well, almost anything. And Matthew records that they shook and became like dead men. They had themselves personal earthquakes of their minds and their bodies and they fainted. They passed out. They became very traumatized By this moment, they were so overwhelmed with terror that they just collapsed at the sight of the angel. (laughs) But not the women. (laughs) They didn't collapse. (sighs) I'll collapse first before my wife does things. (laughs) Tell you that much. And in verse 5, the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. Although they were fearful, they endured the sight of the angel. And they received such comforting and assuring words from God's messenger. Reassuring them, the angel tells them, That they had no need to fear. This is so wonderful. In other words, he knew that they were coming and he was for them and not against them. And he delivers the greatest news in the history of the church, in the history of the world to them. He says in verse 6, he's not here. He is risen, just as he said. 
come and see the place where he lay. In other words, he's saying living men don't belong in a tomb. Jesus had promised that he would be raised from the dead. And our God is a God that he does not lie. And you know what's awesome about this? As I was studying, you know, I get those worshipful moments in my times of studying. I shared that before, and this was one of them. The entire Trinity participated in the resurrection of Christ. Jesus stated that he himself has the power to give up his life and to take it up again. As we see in John 10, 18, he says, no one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord, and I have authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. We also see in Scripture that he was also raised by the power of the Father. Romans 6, 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism in death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul, in his defense of his apostleship writes in Galatians 1, 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. The Holy Spirit also participated in the resurrection. Paul writes in Romans eight eleven, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit, who dwells in you. So you see the whole Trinity at work in the resurrection. That's awesome. That's so awesome. What a God. <laughs> I love the Trinity. This is awesome. I mean, my goodness. And so the angel reminds them that Jesus said he would rise from the dead. And that was probably a reminder they needed at that moment. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, verses 18 and 19, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Jesus' words. And the angels reminding the ladies, remember what he said. And those were what he said, those words. So Jesus promised that he would raise from the dead. And guess what? He did. And as they gazed into the tomb by invitation of the angel, they see what? There's no Jesus there. There's no body there. And the angel shows them and says, as recorded by Mark, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He's not there. See the place where they laid him? And so their terror turns into great joy. And then they see two other angels appear, as John records in John chapter 20, one at the head and one at the feet where Jesus' body has been laying. These ladies are seeing so many things at one time. They feel an earthquake. They see an angel descend from heaven. They see him walk over, roll over, roll away the tomb, sit on the, 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 the big, huge rolled whatever it is, and 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 then they peek in and they see that Jesus isn't there and then all of a sudden these two other angels appear. Amazing. I, I don't think I would have been able to handle that all in one time. I, I, I'm, not multitask, I'm not a multitask person and I'd be like, this is too much for me to absorb in one moment. But obviously the Lord gives you the help to do it. So praise God. But their terror turns into great joy. 
You know, today, as, as we look at the resurrection, let's remember that the empty tomb is a powerful and significant symbol of Jesus' victory over sin and death. One day, one day, we will no longer have to worry about the things of earth that afflict our bodies. No more sickness. No more disease. No more cancer. No more HIV. No more hepatitis C. No more lupus. No more Lyme's disease. No more depression. No more chronic ailments. No more indwelling sin. No more temptations to sin. (laughs) One day. Because of the resurrection. (laughs) What a God. And when they saw the tomb was empty, that Jesus was gone, look what the angel says in verse 7. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. He commands the women to bring word to the 11 disciples that Jesus is alive that he has risen from the dead. Now, where are the disciples at this moment? They're hiding. They're terrified to come out in public for fear of being put to death themselves. And the angel wants them to go into Galilee where they too will see Jesus in person. And there's no time to waste. These women were to go quickly and to proclaim the good news to the cowering disciples. What I love about this message is that it's not one of rebuke to the disciples for their cowardice or their lack of faith, but it's a message of hope. And that's what the gospel is. The message of hope that in and through Christ, the bondage of sin has been broken that spiritually dead men can be resurrected to new life. Where one's enmity toward God is mortified, is killed, and now harmony, eternal relationship with the Father is restored. The gospel is the message of hope. Hope of eternity with Christ in heaven. Hope that helps me thrive during the most difficult and lengthy of trials here on this earth, knowing that it is all temporary. One day, he will say to the believer, come, for I have prepared a place for you. May we, as a local church, never, as Paul wrote to the Colossians, move away from the hope of the gospel. May we never move away from that hope. The gospel is our hope. We don't have to wait until Resurrection Sunday is celebrated, to tell each other the good news of Jesus Christ. We can tell each other the great news every day. We don't have to wait till April or March, whenever it is. Let's look at verse 8. And so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. 
With instant obedience, the women do what the angel commands. And look at the motions they're feeling here. You know, they didn't know whether to laugh or cry. They wanted to jump for joy. There was still a little fear in them from what they're experiencing. The terror, terror of seeing an angel, but the relief and the thrill of hearing that Jesus was alive and that they were going to go see him soon, that was exciting. It was exhilarating. Their beloved Lord was not dead. What a God. What an example these ladies are to us. We should live life as if, and it's true, Jesus rose from the dead. Point number two, worship and adoration. Let's look at verse nine. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped, clasped, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. The Greek word for greetings here is rejoice. So Jesus says, rejoice. I'm sure that at that moment, all fear was forgotten by these ladies, and joy consumed them. Reality was setting in for these women. They had heard the angel's proclamation to them. They had seen the empty tomb, and now they see with their eyes the glorified Christ risen from the dead. They had reason for rejoicing. And there is reason for rejoicing today for you and I. Blessed are those who don't see and believe. The scripture says, Jesus has overcome death. He has overcome death. He has conquered that great and last enemy that scares us. It's called death. He's conquered it. No matter what happens on this earth, no matter what pain, no matter what suffering befalls us, those things cannot be compared to the joy that is set before the people of God because Jesus is alive. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Jesus lives. He is alive. God raised Jesus from the dead, not only to vindicate him, to make him the firstborn of many brothers. And guess what? He's our brother. Romans 8, 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. I can call Jesus my brother today. He's my God, my Lord, my Redeemer, my Savior, my brother. He has been raised for us with the promise that if we believe in him, we too will be raised. And we have reason for rejoicing today. Even in the midst of our afflictions, we can say, as Paul said, I'm overflowing. With joy. I'm overflowing with joy because death has lost its sting. Have joy that's overflowing, a joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. The verse says, They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. The women fell to the ground on their faces and took hold 
of Jesus' feet. But they went further. Not only did they worship him as king, as they did in the old days, by falling and bowing, they recognize him as God. And they don't hold back their worship from him. Brothers and sisters, it's okay to raise your hands in the corporate assembly on Sunday morning. It's okay to clap in the Sunday morning assembly to worship God. It's okay to dance before the Lord in worship to God. It's okay to lay prostrate, prostrate, excuse me, before God. I've had those issues. I've used that term a lot in these past couple of years. It's okay to lay prostrate before God and worship him. It's okay to kneel before your maker in worship of the king of kings and Lord of lords. Don't hold back your worship when you're worshiping him on Sunday morning corporately. Now, we understand that things need to be done decently and in order. Okay? Worship according to the way the word prescribes to worship. Look at the scriptures and how did they worship God? Don't hold back. We have so much to be thankful for. And so they acknowledge him as God. Point number three, hope. Let's look at verse 10. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. What an encouraging statement from God. And he says this throughout scriptures to, to his followers. He said it to Jeremiah. He said it to the prof, other prophets. He said, don't be afraid. And so he says to us today, don't be afraid. He says, don't be afraid. There's nothing to fear. Why is there nothing to fear? Because we worship the sovereign, risen creator of the universe, the one who is in control of all things. He has ordained our steps. We are in his group grip. What can man do to us? Why should we be afraid? What can man do to us? They can kill us, but hey, that's it. They can't take the Holy Spirit away from us, no matter how hard they try. Why should we not be afraid? Because the resurrection is proof that God's word is true. It is proof that God's word is reliable. Why should we not be afraid? Because the resurrection means that Jesus is indeed the son of God as he claimed to be and that he has power over life and death. The resurrection proves that salvation is complete and that on the cross, Jesus conquered sin, death, hell, and rose and is the victorious king. The resurrection proves that heaven is waiting for his beloved church and that we have assurance as his church that he is waiting for us. And Jesus says to them, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. He repeats the command the angel had given them. I, I don't know why. Perhaps in their delight of seeing Jesus, they may have forgotten it. I mean, I probably would have forgot everything. 
Or perhaps because they loved Jesus so much, they didn't want to leave his side. They missed him. They were without him for a few days. Maybe they just didn't want to leave him again. They didn't want to be separated from him again. I don't know. Whatever, whatever the case may be, they immediately obeyed him because he gave them a command and ran to tell the disciples the wonderful and glorious news that Jesus was alive and that he has indeed risen from the dead. And their feet couldn't move fast enough to go tell the good news. And I'm reminded of Romans chapter 10, 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The proclamation of the gospel is a beautiful thing. The news that Jesus, by and through the cross, has made a way for man to have peace with God. That's priceless. Let's be like those ladies and let's get going. Let's be like these ladies and run out there and tell the world about Jesus. Let's be like those ladies And as the author of Hebrews wrote, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. Let's encourage each other every day with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I need the gospel in my life. You need the gospel in your life. Mutual Christ-centered gospel-driven encouragement glorifies God. And it also strengthens relationships. Let's make that a habit to do that with one another. Not just our spouses and our children, but each other. We're a community. Let's make an effort to encourage each other daily in the gospel, whether it be on a Facebook post or a text or a phone call or on a Sunday morning when you see each other. Encourage each other in the gospel. I need encouragement. You need encouragement. Let's encourage each other. Amen? It's hot up here. Final point, four conspiracy it's very interesting that on a, on a probably on an easter sunday message it would end there but because we're working through systematically working through the gospel of matthew there's more to to go through if we're going to go verse by verse and so we have to move on but remember this resurrection is central conspiracy matthew writes in verse 11 and while the women were on their way to tell the disciples Some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. (laughs) So after fainting at the sight of the angel (laughs) and seeing that the tomb was empty, they go to the priests and report the news to them. Now understand that the soldiers had a lot less to fear when it came to the religious elite than they did with Pilate. They probably thought that the priest would help protect them from Pilate, because Pilate would have most surely executed them for failing in their mission to guard the body. And so they don't go to Pilate and tell Pilate what happened. They go to the chief priests, and they report what they saw. And they tell the priests and the elders of the earthquake. They tell the chief priests and the elders of the rolling away of the stone. And they tell the chief priests and the elders of the blazing angels sitting on the rock. Well, maybe they didn't see him sitting on the rock. Maybe they passed out by that time, but they saw the blazing angel. Now, what's interesting is these aren't disciples of Christ. These are not even Jews who are waiting for the Messiah's return. These were pagan Roman soldiers testifying of supernatural events and of a supernatural being, an angel. But the chief priests did not care at all about the accounts. And really, neither did the soldiers. They just wanted to get out of trouble. 
But it didn't matter to the religious elite that Jesus had been raised from the dead, just as it did not matter that Jesus had performed miracles before their very eyes. As Abraham told the rich man in Jesus' parable in Luke 16.31, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So even if they saw Jesus alive, walking on the street in his glorified body, they wouldn't have believed it. They were so spiritually blind that they shut their eyes and closed their ears to every confirmation of Jesus' claims. The God of the world, the God of this world, 2 Corinthians says, had blinded their eyes, which they could not see. And remember, they were after Jesus from the beginning. And their hatred for him was just as vile as it was before his crucifixion when he walked on this earth and during his crucifixion and it was and it is still today the hatred for Christ and look what they do in verse 12 when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan they gave the soldiers a large sum of money I am sure that they were burning with anger with hatred in their hearts as they heard this news. And instead of repenting and rejoicing that their Messiah, their only concern was to keep this news from the Jews in fear that they would follow Jesus and reject them. So they convened together, as is their custom. They, they just conspire. And they think of ways that might best obstruct the news from getting out. And so they devise a three-point resolution, if you will. First, let's bribe the soldiers to keep them quiet. So in their desperation, they, they pay the soldiers huge quantities of money. The Greek there is silver. They, they really like their silver. They gave silver to Judas. Now they want to give silver to, to the, the soldiers. So they, they, they pay these soldiers this huge sum of silver. To keep them quiet. Second, they want to spread a lie about the body. Let's let's think of a way we can spread a lie. We see in this verse, in, in verse 13, that they instruct the soldiers and say, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while you were asleep. You know, the purpose of this lie was to hide the truth that Jesus had indeed risen. They knew he had risen. They hid the truth. Just a thought. Do you know that the soldiers are the first people in biblical history to preach an anti-resurrection message about Jesus? First people. To preach an anti-resurrection message about Jesus. And finally, the religious teachers needed to protect the soldiers from any repercussions from Pilate in verse 14. If this report gets to the governor, they say, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. Jewish leaders could usually manipulate Pilate by threatening to go to Caesar. Pilate was not about to risk trouble with Caesar over the whereabouts of a Jewish body. 
And if the Jewish leaders came to the soldiers' defense, the governor would probably just give them nothing more than a reprimand, sparing their lives. So despite of all the evidence, we see that the Jewish leaders willfully reject the Messiah. And in verse 15, we read that the soldiers took the money and they did as were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Happy to be rewarded and to escape punishment, the soldiers become heralds of a false gospel preaching that the resurrection never took place. And even today, people refuse to believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. Theories abound. Even in so-called Christian circles, that Jesus never rose from the dead. Yet, to deny the resurrection is to deny the gospel of Jesus Christ. To deny the resurrection is to deny all the essential truths that are absolutely and fundamentally essential to the Christian faith. To deny the resurrection represents an abandonment of biblical Christianity. One cannot be a Christian or become a Christian and deny the resurrection. When I was first pastoring in Dallas, a woman came to me after a sermon of mine and told me she really wanted to become a Christian. And I was really excited. So I sat down with her after the service and I walked through the gospel with her, seeing if she affirmed its aspects. And she really had a hard time with two aspects specifically. What do you think those were? She loved science. Maybe that'll help. What were those aspects that she had a problem with? What do you think? Well, one is that we're talking today, the resurrection, the virgin birth. She had a hard time with the virgin birth. So the virgin birth and a resurrect, the resurrection were stumbling blocks for her, if you will. And so I walked her through scriptures on both events. She said to me, you know, I love science, but there's no scientific proof that a man can be dead for three whole days, really dead, and then come back to life. And she was sincere in her belief. She wasn't being antagonistic or anything. And I looked at her and I was just heartbroken. And I quoted Romans 10, 9 to her. And I said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And she looked at me and said, I really want to be a Christian. But there's no way I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And I, I just looked at her and I said, then, then you cannot be saved from the wrath of God until the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and gives you faith to believe the gospel. You see, she wanted the benefits of Christianity, a blissful eternity in heaven. She wanted to pick and choose what to believe about Jesus, about Christianity. She wanted Christianity on her own terms. She wanted to fashion a Jesus in her own image and likeness. 
But we can't have Christianity on our own terms. Some people might compromise. Okay, well, just, just accept them into your heart and you'll be okay. That's not the gospel. Repent and turn from your sin. Trust in Jesus, the resurrected Lord. Without faith, one cannot. It's impossible to please God. Worship team, if you would come up. Every aspect of the gospel is true. It is true. As we come to a close with Matthew, it is true that God is the creator of all things as recorded in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. It is true that Jesus was born of a virgin as recorded in Matthew chapter 1. It is true that he lived a sinless life as we read throughout the entire book of Matthew. It is true that he died on the cross to bear the wrath in our place as recorded in Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 through 66. It is true that he rose from the dead as we see in Matthew chapter 28, verse 6. It is true that he is worthy of all worship because he is the God-man as recorded in Matthew chapter 28, verse 9. It is true that he calls all men everywhere to repent and to turn to him as we see in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. And it is true that he will punish sin as we learned about in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. All of it is true. And it is cause for us to be in awe. It is cause for us to be humbled. It is cause for us to reflect on the greatness and power of Almighty God. And it is cause for us to celebrate with exceeding joy if we are Christians, that sin no longer has mastery over us, but that Jesus overcame the grave. He is risen! He is risen! And the church said, Amen! He is risen indeed! We don't have to just say that on Easter. We can say that every day. He is risen Amen, brothers. Let's worship him. Let's exalt him. Let's praise him today. Amen. Get up on your feet and let's worship the Lord in spirit and in the truth because he's alive. (laughs) Father, we thank you. Those of us whom you adopted, we will never be the same. We were once hostile toward you, at enmity with you, haters of you, and you in your great kindness blessed us with salvific faith. You in your great kindness blessed us with the gift of repentance. And so we who were once far off have been brought near because of the blood of Jesus. And Lord, today we can say it is a happy day. It is a happy day for us. We didn't have to do anything to earn your favor. You acted. And you died, Lord Jesus. And you said it is finished. And you defeated sin and death. And then you rose from the dead. There are a lot of false gods out there. 
A lot of men people have worshipped who are dead and in the grave. But not you. Because you are God. Jesus, you are almighty God. And we worship and adore you. We exalt your name, O God. For you are worthy of praise. You are worthy of glory. You are worthy of all our worship today. And not just today. But tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we want to worship you. And then Sunday, come together and worship you corporately as one body. Let us exalt his name together. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now go and tell someone about the risen Christ.